Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, the uh, Tuesday edition. Uh, this will be the Media Corner edition. And for our patrons, you'll get the video and get it on Monday instead of waiting for Tuesday for the free pod. That will be thrown in right before Keegan joins for the post-Lincoln Riley press conference that will be taking place on Tuesday tomorrow. So shout out to the patrons. Thank you all so much. Joining today is, I, I kind of thought, all right, I've had one half of the West of Everest podcast with Lee Benson from OKC's uh, News 9 on the pod. So why don't I get the other half of the West of Everest podcast? Probably my favorite OU podcast. It's a shame you guys only do one a week, but again, you guys do Megapods, so I don't blame you. But Mr. Grant Benson, Grant, what's up, brother? Nothing much, man. I really appreciate you bringing me on. I uh, got to tell you, I feel a bit, uh, feel a bit honored to be considered uh, for the media portion of this podcast i uh been listening to you been, been listening to your podcast since uh since kind of the end of last season so i kind of uh look at this as, as a bit of an honor I'm feeling pretty good about this <laughs> i don't know about that i um when it comes to ou i am loosely considered media i think the only tech the technical only thing that i do is i'll if i get asked on radio collins about ou football i'll talk about it then I'm on the post game show on the radio. Other than that, like Keegan's like the actual media dude on this podcast. John Hoover was the media guy on the podcast last season. I, I get it. You're you're not covering the team on a day to day basis like your brother or like everybody else. But 2020 media, it, it's it's a loose term. It's a loose like descriptor <laughs> nowadays. I mean, I trust your OU takes a, a hell of a lot more than even some of the people that may or may not be covering the team on a day to day basis. Let's just say. Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. I, I certainly, uh, I definitely spent uh, an, an outsized uh, portion of my time thinking and talking about OU football, reading about it. So uh, I've been doing it for 20 years now. So I'm, I'm glad, uh, like you said, in 2020, as long as you got a microphone in front of your face, you can be considered media. So, hey, I'm excited to be here. And uh, like I said, yeah, you guys, uh, you and Keegan have really been bringing it so far this season. You guys have, I've really enjoyed like everything. Man, your, your takes are a lot of fun. I like them. And I, you're, you and I, you and I, it kind of, uh, it, it, we sort of, uh, you were on the West of Everest podcast in April. We rewatched the Notre Dame game from 2013. And you and I, we, our takes are kind of simpatico. You and I, I kind of feel like we're the same type of OU football fan. So well, like, you are much smarter than I am. Like you have a much better way of describing it. Whereas I just, I'll throw out cuss words and just get mad. And then it somehow, it somehow comes back to Bob in some way, Bob Stoops. I mean, I was, I'm a Miami Heat fan. The Heat, I lost to the Lakers last night, got eliminated. And I was texting my buddies and I was like, I'm sure Bob has something to do with this. Uh, further research is needed. So, I mean, that, that, that's <laughs> my, like my takes are entertaining. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, if you, if you guys want thorough research, I mean, Keegan brings that, but West of Everest, go, if you, I'm sure everyone that listens to Inside OU um, is already subscribed, but if you're not, go give Grant Lee's podcast a listen. So thank you. Thank you again, Mr. Grant. But now that we've had a few days to kind of ruminate on it, Grant, I'm just curious curious do you feel like whatever you were feeling immediately after that oh you win do you find yourself kind of feeling a little different because i'll be honest and I'll, we'll talk about this later but because i i'll be honest i do but i'm just curious how you're feeling now on monday following the game yeah i think everything is just a little bit different this year in general um i don't know how you were up on the very last play of the game the trey brown pick 
but I couldn't even celebrate because I was too busy looking for a flag. Oh yeah. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to celebrate prematurely because, you know, I, I figured that he almost certainly like held or, or did something because of course we're all, we're all PTSD OU fans. So we just kind of expect that, but no, I, I think it's definitely different. And I think COVID is really shading a lot of things. Um, I just have no idea how to think about this OU team in context of what they've gone through with COVID. And then also when you put that with the backdrop of the rest of college football, everyone dealing with it in their own way. And we're not really exactly sure what those ways are. It's completely different for every team. So I don't know about you, but I, like I've, I have no idea what, how to feel about the rest of college football that is really kind of leaking into how I feel about OU as well. I think when they play their best, they're by far the best team in the big 12. But as we've seen now through four games and four games is enough of a sample size to know that this is a really inconsistent football team. It's really unlikely that we're going to get their best for a full, full uh, a full four quarters in any game this year. Let's get into kind of the meat of what I wanted to talk about with you today. Lincoln Riley's play calling. Now Keegan and I, talked about it, you know, pretty at length on the post game pod and still like, I kind of assumed like, okay, once a few days pass, I probably won't be as critical, but I still find myself on Monday just going, what, what the hell, what the hell Lincoln Riley? I, it, it's, it's dumbfounding to me because he's done this for like ever since he's been the head coach at OU. The only difference is, is he had Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or even Jalen Hurts to mask, you know, like the play calling in the fourth in the fourth quarter alone. And we'll go through probably each drive was just it, it was as if Lincoln Riley just kind of decided, you know what? I'm having a lot of fun at the Cotton Bowl. I, I want to stay here a little bit longer. I want to I want to extend this game an hour and a half. Let's do that. Yeah. And I, I think if you're a fan, I think maybe the most concerning thing is, especially in Lincoln Riley's case, is this a bit of a pattern that he showed throughout his, uh, his tenure so far as the head coach? Um, just going through games in my mind, uh, the Rose Bowl obviously stands out. A lot of games in the middle of that 2017 season where it feels like they could have pulled away and could have ended the game early, but were unnecessarily close. It seemed like that was the entire story of the 2018 season and the entire second half of the 2019 season. I think so, real yeah. quick, real quick. I think the perfect example is 2018 Texas Tech with Kyler. Oh, because I, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember because I actually had to listen to that game on the radio. Uh, long story, but it, it helps me remember it a little bit more since I was listening to it instead of watching it for whatever reason. But I remember just going, "Why isn't he running the football?" Texas Tech wants nothing to do with Trey Sermon. They want nothing to do. It's like Adrian Peterson in the fourth quarter, the entire game, just hand the ball off. But it just seemed like Lincoln Riley was like, no, I'm the air raid guy. I'm going to prove it against Cliff Kingsbury in my old stomping grounds in Lubbock. So I'm just going to throw, throw, throw. And it's fine if you score quick, but then your defense is back out there and they're tired. Or if you have to punt, no time is left off the clock, even though OU is kind of dominated from the second quarter on. And it was un- only until about the fourth quarter where Lincoln just said, screw it, I'm just going to run it. And then, oh, you took, took off and ran away with the game. And it's like, why didn't you do this in the second quarter, third quarter? This game could have been well in hand by then. It's just, to me, Grant, it just seems like Lincoln just refuses, for whatever reason, to do the simple thing. And Keegan and I kind of just kind of dis- described it as he tries to outsmart himself way too many times. That's what it seems like at this point in time. I don't really know how else to describe it. Um, If I could choose one word, maybe stubborn would be it, but I don't know if that's right because it seems like there's times where uh, 
where he either refuses to run the ball when it's working or he refuses to kind of throw it downfield when it's working to force the run. There never seems to be any sort of consistency there. And I'm, I'm far from the last, I'm, I'm far from the first person to make this point. Um, but it doesn't ever seem like he's the type of guy who continues to dial up things that are working. Yes. Um, and maybe, maybe this is just me being too close to the program and not, and, and when it's happening to OU's defense, it's so obvious. And it's just, you know, like, why doesn't OU do that? Um, but you're right. There seems to be uh, certain times where Lincoln is, is trying to outsmart you and he's stubborn in it. He doesn't want to, he wants to be the one to, uh, to be the genius to call up the perfect play when a lot of the times all you really need to do is just block the guy in front of you because you got a lot better players than dudes across from you. And maybe that's way too simplistic, but I got to tell you, that certainly seemed to be the problem in the fourth quarter against Texas on Saturday. Um, the O-line clearly played their best game of the season in terms of run blocking. Um, TJ Pleasure, outside of the one fumble that he had in the second quarter, uh, played a just a really good game. Um, I had been really critical of the running backs leading up to that game, TJ Pleasure included. Um, if that was the TJ Pleasure that you know would have showed up for Kansas State and Iowa State, they may have won those games. He looked great. And uh, I think everybody was thinking kind of the same thing. Up by two scores when your offensive line playing really well. Texas's defense really had a lot of trouble tackling Oklahoma on Saturday. Man, why wouldn't you just kind of dial up that GT counter, which was working really really well when TJ pleasure was running it. Yeah. Uh, especially, and, and you know, like you said, we're going to go over them, but there, there are a few instances where it's just, I don't know how you don't do that. Um, Cause going back and, and rewatching it, Brady, that play was working the entire game. Uh, any, any time that OU was getting blown up in the backfield, it was a lot of the time it was kind of Marcus major, just sort of dancing or being slow footed in the backfield. TJ pleasure was on a roll. He should have been getting the ball in that fourth quarter. He should have let them carry him home. I think. Yeah, no, no question. And I mean, you've got the drive chart right in front of you. We kind of just talked about it beforehand. So I'm going to do my best to uh, just go off memory because I had to write it down like two or three times for notes for either for whatever postgame show I was doing on Saturday. Um, so just correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, at the end of the third quarter, OU scores that touchdown on that long eight and a half minute drive, uh, go up 31 17. And then they kick the ball off to start the fourth quarter. Uh, back to Texas. Texas goes, I, mean, I don't know if they go three and out. I think they go three and out, but they go three and out. Yeah. They punt the ball away to Oklahoma. And I basically cannot remember what OU and Texas did until the five Oh two mark. Um, when Sam Ellinger throws that interception. Well, I mean, was there anything like before we get into the meat and potatoes of what we wanted to talk mm -hmm. about, was there anything um, in those drives and that part of the fourth quarter that you had a problem with other than OU's first drive of the fourth quarter where three straight pass plays and then they punt right back to Texas. Yeah. And like, so that's what you said uh, after that 87 yard, eight and a half minute drive, which, I mean, that was, that, that was a man's drive. That was a big boy drive. Uh, that's, that's the type of drive that you saw last year, a lot out of Jalen hurts kind of one that just sort of just strangles the life out of your opponent, the next drive and the defense gets a three and out and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is it Lincoln. This is right where you've struggled. And, you know, what do we get? The very first thing, actually, the very first play, uh, once OU got the ball back, it was a 14-yard completion of Jeremiah Hall on um, the little play action, little boot out that they, uh, they throw him in the flat that works pretty often. And then after that, Brady, it's three straight passes all behind 
or within a yard of the line of scrimmage. Those little the little bubble screens, little drag routes that they've really struggled this year on. They've struggled to block those up this year. In a situation where OU, I mean, for the most part, they can go down and they can end that game. Texas was begging to quit that game. They were begging for it to be over. Yeah. They didn't want to play anymore. A lot, um, of ha- a lot of hands on hips, a lot of heads like hanging down. Like, yeah, they knew like we yeah. did. The game's over. Absolutely. You got, I mean, and you got the ball near midfield. You got the ball at your own 41-yard line. And then, yeah, pass complete to Theo for a loss of four. Pass complete to Theo for a loss of one. And then pass incomplete again to Theo. When, you're, when your offensive line just just played really well on a drive, you got TJ Pleasure, a guy who's really starting to get rhythm. He's starting to understand where the offensive linemen are setting up their blocks. Uh, talking a lot about you know the, the leverage and the angles that are involved in that GT counterplay. TJ Pleasure absolutely understood what they wanted to do in the run game there. And it was, it was working for you. And so I think it's really easy to point towards that drive right there and just say, what are you doing? What, like, what, what's your thought process there? I, I think it's really it's extremely fair to question Lincoln Riley there, especially a guy that you're expecting to, you know, you're expecting to deliver OU's eighth national championship at some point in time. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. And I'm sure he was asked about this in the post game. I didn't get a chance to listen to the entire post game from Lincoln. But what would annoy me is Lincoln would probably suggest that those three straight pass plays that you mentioned that were with that were either behind the line of scrimmage or within a yard of the line of scrimmage. Oh, that's just an extension of our run game. So we're basically trying to run. It's like, no, because if you throw an incomplete pass, then the clock stops. So that's your enemy. And if you keep going backwards, you're just giving Texas a little bit of hope that, hey, like we're finding some rhythm on defense. We're finally stopping them. But it has really more to do with the play calling, the play design, the play philosophy, like whatever offensively. It's just, look, you just said it. Like Texas wanted to lose that game or they knew that the game was over. Just ruin them. Just end them. But let's fast forward to the 502 mark, which is when Woody Washington uh, gets the interception in the end zone. And this is where the fun truly began, Grant. Um, OU, I can't remember what they did on their first two downs, but they, I I think they might have had a pledger run or for two or three yards actually it was it was two straight runs actually so i mean as much as you want to you want to you know you want to poop on lincoln riley which is going to be fair after we get past these these first two runs yeah it was it was it was a two-yard run and a three-yard run which texas took a timeout after both of them yeah the only good thing about this drive before we get to that third down that everybody hates is Texas burned all three of their, time, of their timeouts. That's good. The third and five reverse, it loses 10 yards. It was such a disastrous play, and it started to give Texas a little bit a little bit more hope that they started to gain at the beginning of the fourth quarter because of Lincoln's weird play calling. Texas burns all three of their timeouts, OU punts it away. But the problem is Woody Washington intercepted the ball at the 502 mark. I think, that, I think Texas gets the ball at the 447 mark. So what, 13, 14 seconds of game clock have been shaved? When you've had two runs and a disastrous reverse, you lost five yards. Yeah, it's. I you know I don't I don't think that reverse call is very defensible um, unless unless you can really dig into the mind of Lincoln Riley and what his play you know what his game plan was and we can't really so I, I just what 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 I would have run an like an easy play there that may have been a time for one of those you know for one of those short passes or just anything that you can connect options to that are going to make sure that Texas has to burn a timeout. That's the thing. We can play armchair quarterback all we want or armchair head coach all we want. What would you have run in that situation? 
Because now that I'm actually thinking about it, I, I don't really know. That, that's kind of no man's land. I definitely wouldn't have run a reverse in which you have to be 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage at one point in time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think an RPO would, would have been like whatever like the Austin Stogner drop on the third nine on the following drive for OU, that would have been fine because you, you've run the ball twice. The clock was supposed to be going, but Texas burned their two timeouts. So that's good. Like you're doing the right thing. And that's the time where you want to be aggressive and maybe go to Stogner, maybe just do an RPO. Uh, maybe you just have someone outlet like a Jeremiah Hall or, or TJ Pledger, who is never really involved in the passing game, but he, he seems like the type of guy that would work in that situation. But yeah. um, the, the problem with the reverse is not just the results, because of course, yes, if it works, then everyone's like, oh, what a great ballsy call. Sure, that I understand that factor, but in the context of Lincoln Riley, he does this like, once or twice a game. I mean, the first play of the Kansas State game was reversed to Rambo, and it worked. You know, if you want to start the game off that way, fine. Uh, Iowa State in 2015, I think one of the first plays was that double reverse back to Baker Mayfield, bomb to Dimitri Flowers. It's like, if you want to start the game off that way, fine. But once or twice a game, he'll run that stupid flea flicker. He'll run some reverse in the middle or the end of the game, and it's just like, what are we doing here? A trick play that results in disaster, it snowballs your team. Uh, momentum wise. And it's exactly what happened because then OU punts away. Texas gets the ball back. They go down the field and they score a touchdown. They kick an onside kick and they barely don't recover it. And then OU has the ball with how much time left? Two or three minutes? Let's see here. So Texas scores at the 328 mark. OU has the ball first and 10 um, after the onside kick with 328 left. So, I mean, with. Gosh, I mean, that's plenty of time for Texas. And, yeah. I, and, I, and of course, at that time, all the OU fans are now looking at the clock, looking at the score, and they're just thinking to themselves, oh, my God, it's definitely happening. Definitely happening again. Yeah. OU on their drive after the onside kick um, non-recovery, they just get the ball back. Oh, my God. I know Joel Klatt hated the third and nine pass, but a screen to Theo East, fine. Drake Stoops lead blocking. I mean, Grant, I've already talked about it. Please just go ahead and and either yeah. agree or disagree. I, I just, okay, here's the deal. I, I like, I liked the third and nine pass play. I, I would have thrown it, there too. I would have thrown there. It was the same philosophy as the third and five on the yes. previous drive. Like that's where you yes. want to be aggressive. Go ahead. I, I absolutely, absolutely would have, would have thrown the ball there as well. Uh, trying to win the game. You know, I, the problem was, I, I keep going back. The biggest problem was the first sequence after OU went up 31 to 17 and they got that three and out, that was their opportunity to end the game right there. And I just, I, I kind of feel like just over and over and over again, Lincoln Riley is, is given those moments in big games and just continuously the team just kind of fails to deliver. Who else are you going to point to in those situations? You know, I, I, I this is exactly where it's tough. So, cause I, I'm looking at the play here. And so the very first play after they got it back off the onside kick, uh, Rattler ran for a loss of three yards and he fumbled. So was that on a, I actually can't remember that play very, very well. Yeah, was Creed, that on a, um, Creed Humphrey, uh, recovered it, which is his best play of the year, by the way, I think he recovered, <laughs> I think he recovered two fumbles actually, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, you could tell like, Oh God, like, Oh, was either going to win this game barely, like on some random fourth down stop that Ellinger just maybe throws an incomplete pass and that's how it'll end. Or this is going to go to overtime. Like, you could tell then yeah. it's, it's not looking pretty. So, 
And then, yeah, you know, I, of, of course, as soon as OU had to punt the ball away there, I, there was, there was no way, right. That OU was going to stop Texas. They were certainly going to score. Um, I, I just, oh, yeah. I, I kind of feel like by that time, by that time, your players, your defense had done, had done enough to win the game. And I feel, you know, at that time, the head coach and his game management let Texas back into the game. And so I, I think by that time, mentally, you're just, the defense was there. They had no chance at that point in time. Uh, which is why I think you, you like, I, my biggest takeaway from this game is that I think the players just, the, the players absolutely deserve to win the way that they came back and the way that they responded from, uh, from two straight losses, two kind of heartbreaking losses to come out and play really well in this game, I think was really encouraging just kind of from a mental aspect of the players, but man, it's frustrating to, to realize that their, their coaching staff almost let them down at the end. Yeah. And um, it's, it's really hard not to think to myself, you know, how often has that actually been the case over the last four or five years? Um, and I feel like unless you're really within that program, it's hard to say. Uh, but at the same time, you kind of sound like a jerk. This, this, or not you, me, you know, coming from, <laughs> um, you know, coming from a fan base that has what they've won 12 plus games, five consecutive years. And you know, have been the college football playoff for the last five years. It's they're doing something extremely right, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but there's just something that is that is preventing them from, you know, preventing them from getting over the hump. And I thought this game was the perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah. They I play mean, so well, play so well. You can see all of the good individual players that they have, but there's just something that's missing. And it makes it makes me think, you know, is are they in a really similar situation right now that Clemson was in in the middle part of this decade? you know, before Deshaun Watson became Deshaun Watson and before Brent Venable's voice uh, took over that program. I, I, I think if, if you really want to point towards a program where OU wants to be, you can look at Clemson and they were in a really, really similar position. They couldn't close teams out and they were a lot better than teams, you know, for a long time in the ACC before they started killing everybody. Yeah, I mean, with the OU Texas game, to me, it really seems like OU lost that game twice and they lost it once. Like the OU should get a two and one record just from that game alone. <laughs> and it has to, it just, it's mainly, it just goes back to Lincoln Riley. And you just look at the scoring, like OU's up 31 17. Texas goes on a 21 point scoring run. And then from that point on, because Texas scores, you know, 14 points in the fourth quarter and then they get the ball first in overtime. So they scored 21 points in a row before OU scored again. And then OU outscores them 22 to seven in overtime. And it's like, to me, it's like they, they won the game in regulation as a 31 17 with all the, all the opportunities to just end the game. They lost it at the end of regulation into overtime, and then they won it again in overtime. So, um, and what you were saying earlier, how much has this actually happened over the last four or five years? Like, yeah, but like I said, it was masked by the fact that they had Baker and Kyler and into a certain extent, Jalen hurts. I keep going back to those. Um, this is something that's just been kind of ruminating in my mind the last couple of days, especially, and it's, it's highlighted even more when I watch football on Sundays in the NFL, man, that's 17 and 18 offenses. There were just some really incredible players on those two offenses. And I think a lot of that is maybe lost. You go back to the Rose bowl, just think of the guys that started on that offense that are now right. That are pro bowlers right yeah. now. Uh, Mark Andrews, CD lamb, Marquise Brown were the three starting pass catchers on that. That's, that's not fair. That's, that's probably not a, fair at all. That, that's probably a part of the problem because yeah, if you have a CD lamb, Marquise Brown, Rodney Anderson, 
and that great of an offensive line, those bubble screens that Lincoln's running at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they probably go for a, you know, a big chunk of yardage once or twice. And so we don't think about it because it works, but when you're relying on inexperienced kids that haven't been in this situation before to close out a game, there's less margin for error. And how much of that can we blame on Lincoln Riley just for the fact that now you're having to rely on um, younger uh, freshmen and sophomores who haven't been there yet? Or is it just like, hey, you need to do the simple, simple stuff here. It's clear they don't want to stop the run. It's clear that they can't stop the run. Just it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be flashy. Just go out there and do the thing because that's the curse of being an OU fan. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier. OU wins a lot of games, sure. But in each game, if OU doesn't do what you feel is necessary, put the foot on the gas, dominate an opponent, you know, from start to finish that they clearly should be dominating. They get the win. It's like, cool. But then you understand this is going to bite them at some point. Like the Kansas school, the Kansas game last year that kind of started the, eh, I don't know about this team. Um, and then of course, at, like the Texas game with Jalen hurts, that's where it kind of snowballed for him uh, as the season wore on. And maybe OU's already had their two, like their one, two examples losing to Iowa state and, uh, uh, Kansas State, but I, I don't know. Like, if OU finds himself in a situation like this, I'm not going to have the full confidence that Lincoln Riley is going to um, put the foot on the gas unless he calls a bubble screen to Theo Weiss and he simply just, you know, is an athlete, breaks a tackle, and then goes the distance. Sure. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe at times it's, it, it's just a simple execution problem. Um, I don't think it's as simplistic as that. I think there's probably a lot of things going on. Um, but also, I yeah, I, one of the one of the things that I really wanted to communicate on on our podcast West of Everest last week is that you know I I, I didn't want to contribute kind of to the doom and gloom voice that a lot of was going out there. Um, I, I I think this I think this season and what's happening right now and the hardships they're going through, a, a clear eyed person could have looked at in the spring and said this was this is pretty predictable. This this. Uh, this definitely goes along pretty well with some of the other down seasons that they've had in the past. A lot of injuries, whether or not that's COVID related or anything happened, just a lot of guys that they thought would be available that aren't a lot of really young guys in really important positions. And then just those guys not really able to make winning plays when they absolutely need to in those situations. One of the cool things about the Texas game is you saw some of those young guys, you saw the light start to come on you start to see them make some of those plays like man, Woody Washington, how excited are you for Woody Washington after that game? A Woody guy who is long, a guy who can make a play on the ball, and he just kind of came out of nowhere and played really well. Yeah, Woody and Jaden, they yeah. should be the starters. They're yeah, not going they to should. be, but they should be. Woody's going to play a lot more as we go along. I, he's got the size, he's got the understanding, yes. and which is shocking because he's a safety playing cornerback for like the second or third game of his career. So yeah, it's like I, I, you know, I, I watched that game, and it's it's pretty easy for me to to see the pieces and say, Oh, I mean, they look pretty good there. They look pretty good there. And yeah, I mean, I hate the busts and I hate the five nineness and the secondary, but we know that there's some guys who are, who are waiting in the wings. And now we know we have tangible proof that guys in the past who had been waiting in the wings are now out making plays and looking pretty good. Well, Grant, thank you so much, brother, for uh, jumping on the podcast and uh, looking forward to West of Everest. Was it uh, Wednesday? Do you guys drop your podcast on Wednesdays? It's on. It's it's on Wednesdays, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out 
uh, there being multiple uh, podcasts per week going forward in this season. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if we would have done one on Sunday morning had had this not be a bye week, uh, bye week yeah. week. But um, you know, yeah, we're we're gonna try to get more. If, if the team gets really exciting, maybe we'll try to throw some more out there. Awesome. Well, we're all looking forward to it. Thank you once again for jumping on Inside OU for the Media Corner. And well, it's a pleasure being here, man. I would I would love to come back on again. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast portion, uh, Media Corner. When we get back, Keegan Renault joins us uh, on his own podcast. It's always awkward to say that, but yeah, just stay tuned for Keegan's post Lincoln Riley press conference thought. Inside OU listeners, thanks again for being loyal subscribers and listeners to the podcast with Brady Trantham and I. Like to get to know Oklahoma's offense and defense better? We have started a Patreon page for our post-game show and my popular film reviews from Twitter. It's $4 for the post-game show and $5 for the film review on Sundays and the post-game show. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. It will allow us to do even more cool things now and beyond for you. Thanks again for being loyal subscribers and listeners to Inside OU. See you all next time. So, Keegan, uh, congratulations on winning the press conference today. You are the shining beacon of journalism. Big J, big, the biggest J that has ever walked this earth, Keegan Renault. You got Lincoln Riley to uh, announce that he wants to be an author someday and that Chris Murray is going to play football for OU. Yay! And Ronnie Perkins probably won't. Let's just be real. You know this about me. And in terms of covering this program for the last three years, I hate being lied to. Hate. And and you guys have heard me say this on this podcast before, but I am at a uh, at a at a at ease, I guess would be the best way to say it. And kind of kept my mouth shut, done this, but this year's been a little bit different. Um, but yeah, you know, I asked Lincoln today. So were you watching? The press conference, you said you were watching it? Yes, I have my ways. Okay, so did you see Lincoln's face whenever I was asking the question? Yeah, he did this. He didn't know. He did the, yeah, he was like shaking his head and then like looked up the other side. I think yeah, I he saw, didn't like that. I was just going to say, I think I saw in some random CSI episode when I used to watch CSI that if you look a, if you look a certain direction when you are answering somebody's question, it tells it, it signifies that you're lying. I can't remember if it's left or right. So need to rewatch that episode and start watching Lincoln Riley's press conferences with a more analytical so, pair of yeah, eyes. Yeah, David Caruso and CSI Miami. Not the, the uh, Gil Grissom one, the original one. I never, I never watched CSI Miami or CSI. That's the best one. I mean, it has like the easiest memeable intro, which I can't do. Sure. But. Uh, yeah, but yes, uh, Ronnie Perkins, all he said was, yeah, if, uh, if I ever write a book, I'll have an entire chapter about Ronnie Perkins, which basically tells me like, we kind of mentioned it on the post game show. At least I did Keegan, um, about my thoughts on Ronnie Perkins playing or not playing the rest of the year and him saying that him answering the question, the way that he did kind of breeze more fire into that thought i mean they just don't they don't expect him i guess at this point i think that's the best way to put it is that they don't expect him to play this year at this point although that there is a possibility that he could he still could be available for the texas tech game however i don't think that's likely it's well it's all depending on how the ncaa is going to rule some certain things that i don't think we should be getting into 
But well, I, I think what we can now deduce is Ronnie Perkins's moral support sucks. Like it, he's an awful moral supportist because the one time he went, he was there and needed and, and needed for that particular, uh, I guess action. OU lost, and then he's not at the Cotton Bowl, and OU wins a game twice and loses it once. So, sorry, Ronnie Perkins. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to say. So, yeah, it's it's a tough situation as well. I mean, if you know anything about the guy, his you know his come up and in life and in general, yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, this isn't going to hurt him. Like, obviously, he's not going to get probably if he doesn't play, he's not going to get drafted. But, like, someone's going to take him. I mean, the NFL has no issues with marijuana anymore. So. Absolutely not. In, in fact, they kind of encourage it. Well, not yep. really. Unless you're, uh, what's his name, uh, that receiver from Cleveland all those years ago. Jo- what? Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon. Stay off the weed. No, like, here's my silly, this is a stupid take, because Ronnie Perkins is a great player, and he's probably top three on this team, you could easily argue. Um, the way I see it, the way that the season has kind of already gone along and it's a shortened season. Oh, he's already lost two games. Uh, it's not a college football playoff contending team. It may not even be a big 12 championship, uh, attending team at this point. If they lose one more game, they're pretty much out of it. So, um, with how the defensive line has played Keegan, I mean, Ronnie Perkins is gone after this year, regardless, he's going to the NFL. He's going to be a high draft pick first, second, third round, perhaps. Uh, but with the way the defensive line has performed and with the amount of young guys on this defensive line, if you just, if Ronnie Perkins is eligible, of course, OU is going to play him, but if he isn't able to come back, I just see it as, Hey, you're giving all these young guys that have already performed really well, a lot more burn, a lot more opportunities that I Ronnie Perkins being reinserted into the starting lineup would probably take away. I mean, Grinch would rotate a lot, but I see this as kind of a, a, a win-win. Like if you get Ronnie Perkins back, your team is elevated. If you don't get him back, I mean, the defensive line has kicked ass even in those two losses this year, in my opinion. No, they definitely have. And you saw my tweet that, you know, if there is anything that you can hang your hat on if you're Oklahoma right now is that the defensive line has been your best unit on the field this season. And if you told an Oklahoma fan that two years ago, what would they tell you? They'd be like, no way. There's no shot that could happen. And it's real. It's it's a reality. Um, Yeah, I mean, you look at – kind of what's going on just across the board with the, you know, the whole entire team. And you've seen some of my thoughts on this and heard it on the franchise, but uh, I've, I have a lot more worries and concerns about this team right now than I did heading into the Texas game. And, um, but one of those units is not the defensive line. And that is a unit that can carry you. And that's a unit that, that could, that could put the entire team and program on its back and be able to win football games. And basically aided them to do that on Saturday. Now, granted, Sam Ellinger missed a lot of throws on Saturday, after, you know, going through the whole rewatch. As he does. Uh, yes. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a team that's built around this defensive line. Clearly they're relying on them to get pressure with the quarterback, um, get loud, you know, uh, really relying on them to get pressure on the quarterback. And we'll see kind of what comes of that, but, you heard me say it a second ago, Brady, and I know we're about to get into it, but man, I am that game in Fort Worth for Oklahoma scares the absolute poo out of me. Yeah, well, before we get to that, because I'm interested in what your thoughts are, considering that you said that you're a little bit more worried about this team moving forward. Um, 
let's just take care of the Chris Murray news because uh, that was the second part of your question. You you sneakily put in two questions for your one allotted question. So bravo once again, Big J, uh, Keegan Renault over here. Um, you know, like th- this is kind of like the opposite of my Ronnie Perkins take, where if you if he comes back, great, but it takes it might take away some opportunities from some of these younger guys, some of these less experienced guys from their opportunities they've been getting in his absence. With Chris Murray. I mean, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right along with you about his talent. And even though the offensive line played a really good oh, you're game. Drink my Kool-Aid is what you're saying. Yes, yes. I'm drinking your Kool-Aid. Um, even though the offensive line performed really well against Texas, and it was the first game where, like, you know, whatever situation you want to look at, like pass blocking was there for the most part. Uh, run blocking was certainly there. And then, of course, goal line situations, the, the run blocking was there. How much of that was just TJ Pledger just saying, screw it, I'm running forward, I don't care. Um, Spencer Rattler on a QB sneak on a fourth down and goal in overtime. Uh, th- those aren't gimmies from what we've seen on this offensive line. But you put in Chris Murray with how Beanbo likes to rotate here and there. I mean, that's just nothing but a positive. Sure. And I, I don't you know want to take away from your opinion and what this not. But I will tell you this. The running game on Saturday was a – if Oklahoma didn't two tight end sets, they didn't run the football well. And when they did run the football well, it was because of what Texas was doing wrong. And that's, that's the part of it that's concerning to me about the offensive line. The running game really didn't actually get going in the sense of what we're expecting from Oklahoma offensive line. Um, you know, and T.J. Pledger, you know, you look at the end of the game, like, like on that – 40, 50-yard drive before Lincoln had the third and three pass attempt that we've highlighted. Um, like, T.J. Pledger was getting those yards himself outside of a couple runs. Like, he was getting hit in the backfield, getting hit two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, and getting, you know, 10, 5, 10, 20 yards out of it. So, yeah, I think the pass protection, though, Brady, that is a positive, an extreme positive. I posted that GIF earlier. Um, need to get through the rest of the rewatch with all the clips that I have um, and get those up on the Patreon. But yeah, it's, you know, that's a positive. That's for sure. The pass protection offensive line was a lot better. Um, they were a lot more sound. In- but yeah, you, you talk about Chris Murray. This is a guy that, you know, I think is, well, heck, with the way Creed Humphrey's playing, he's probably Oklahoma's best offensive lineman and he hasn't played yet. So um, most talently, talently gifted offensive lineman for sure. Just a strong physical guy, uses, has a great base, uses his hands well. Um, if he, he gets his hands on you, he's not letting go kind of guy. Um, so you plug him in, um, I think it has to be a right guard. Uh, Marquis Says didn't play well again on Saturday, but uh, Tyrese Robinson, the mistakes are just glaring. Um, yeah. So obviously I think that's the place that you plug him in at. And then we'll see, um, you know, maybe hopefully he's not going through the same issues for Oklahoma's sake of the rest of the offensive line. Tyrese Robinson admitted today. He didn't get asked. He was admitted that there's a big difference between the two, that he has been out of shape really the last three weeks. That's not good. Uh, the fact that he admitted on his own, I don't think is a good sign. And it's probably speaking truth to the rest of the interior offensive line, but you know, you want to highlight, you know, one guy like Adrian Ely's playing like a dude, dude, like dude, he's, he's been really, really. Good. Yeah. So um, needs to keep relying at right tackle Anton Harrison. I thought played well. Um, once he gets stronger, he's going to be a lot better. It's clear that he's just getting pushed. 
like he's doing everything right. He's just not physical enough. Well, he's physical enough. He's just not strong at this point to withhold, you know, some of these power five defensive ends. So, um, yeah, no, I this offensive line you add in Chris Murray, I think it gets a lot better. But the concerns are still there. Um, yeah. They can't run the football unless they get in two tight end sets, which is, you know, you look at the end of the Iowa State game on that t- final touchdown drive. That's how they scored. I mean, they got in too tight, and they ran the football, and they ran the football well. Um, when they ran the football against Texas, too tight for the most part. And if it wasn't doing a good job, or Texas LBs, which I highlighted during the week, that they were so bad in the running game that they could potentially open it up for Oklahoma. And they damn did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, unless I missed this today at the on the press conference, I was a little disappointed that nobody asked this question as a follow-up to – I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago when Lincoln was asked about the struggles of the offensive line. And he mainly highlighted like, yeah, they've, they've made mistakes, but you know, like the running backs have just misplays and you know, that's, that's on them. It's not on the offensive line, but it's easy to kind of go back and see like a lack of rushing and just point to the offensive line. He's like, no, these running backs just aren't making a lot of plays. So um, I, I I'm curious if, like what you're saying, like if there's a lot of truth to it, which I like, I'll agree with you. It's not like it's not like the offensive line like busted ass, you know, from start to finish against Texas. And then of course Texas defensive line outside of Osai is just not a lot to write home about anyway. Um, having said that, they did take care of business. But I wonder if it had just it, something simple to do with TJ Pledger's either his his running style or the fact that he's just a smaller back and he's able to hide behind um, offensive linemen, not like a Seth McGowan who's taller, more prototypical running back. Um, where he's kind of struggled once, you know, he either has a hole and he'll like run through it and look awesome, or he'll have a little bit of Kennedy Brooks in him where if the hole isn't there, he'll dance around a little bit or Trey Sermon, excuse me, more of a Trey Sermon type where if there's no hole, he just dances around. So, I I mean, I'm going to be interested to see if it's, if the offensive line just truly just takes that performance and, you know, capitalizes off of it in two weeks against TCU. Um, If we see Seth McGowan return, if uh, that takes away from TJ Pledger's um, opportunities. Cause I mean, that guy, I, I thought he showed me a lot against Iowa state and his few opportunities against the cyclones, but he damn sure showed me a lot against Texas with his ability. And then of course the next week against Texas tech, you get Ramondre Stevenson back. And I would safely assume that even with the half-ass blocking that the offensive line has put out there in those, let's say those two losses, you just, you reinsert Ramondre Stevenson into those games. And there are a few runs where he, that type of running back bust at least one long touchdown run. Absolutely. Um, you know, you meant, you brought up TJ Pledger, man, he got some tough yardage on Saturday. Um, when, you know, even on the yard play that he fumbled, he had to go through a tiny hole and then was able to make a couple guys miss and got downfield. You know, he's a guy that, you know, you've heard my, you know, I think his ceiling is kind of a Brennan clay type, but Oklahoma, and I think he's kind of reaching it at this point, a guy that you can trust that's going to give you the yardage when he needs to, a guy that can get that tough yardage when you need to, um, you know, punching it in a couple times down in the end, down in the red zone. Uh, they went into the wildcat with him once against Texas, and he was able to get the first down. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives you take away from TJ Pledger's performance. Uh, Mark still leaves a little bit to be desired. And like you said, they get Ramondre Stevenson back here in a couple weeks. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's looking up. And – We'll see, you know, Seth McGowan from what I'll find, he will be back for TCU. He was on the sidelines 
um, for the uh, OU Texas game on Saturday, concussion protocol. Um, he was cleared actually to play. They just didn't practice all week. So we'll see kind of what comes of that. But like you said, Ramondre Stevenson comes back. I think that's going to aid a lot of problems. He can mask a lot of problems on the offensive line. And, you know, he's a guy that obviously that you've heard me say this. I think he's a, you know, late third round, fourth round kind of running back um, in the NFL. And I truly believe that. I mean, he showcases ability to catch the football when lined up out wide, as well as being able to run the football in between the tackles. And I mean, in the NFL right now, you can, if you do those two things, um, you're going to make it a long time. And I think Stevenson brings that to the table and, no, and it's against Texas Tech, too. So they should be able to run the football against them. If they can't run the football against them, then um, they've got serious problems. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Ramondre Stevenson uh, lining up out wide because now I just – I remember, what was it, that third and 13, third and 12 or something against Oklahoma State last year, and they just – Lincoln just put Ramondre Stevenson out wide, and Oklahoma State did not account for him at all, and Jalen just kind of went yeah, through a progression and just game. went straight to him. Yeah, it was that game. Yeah, he – I mean, and he's – I think he did in the Baylor game too. I think they lined him yeah. out wide in the Baylor game and he caught a big pass uh, for in that game. So, yeah, they're in a – yeah, they. I mean, they're, I think they're, the stable of running backs they have is actually, you know, pretty good. Um, they just got to get more push up front and they got to get guys that move people and they don't have that right now, um, especially on the interior offensive line, which is what we've mentioned before. Um, I do say you mentioned – Texas defensive line there were two you know three guys that stood stood out and it's gonna be names people are familiar with Alfred Collins to to Quan Graham and then to Vondre Sweat and if you remember this I brought that guy's name up a ton last year that that was a guy that Oklahoma um should have went after more um there was the last recruiting class the recruiting class before ended up going to Texas he's gonna be a big time player down there uh but yeah they I mean, we went off on Tom Herman in Texas on Saturday or Sunday, but still after, employed after watching that game, Brady, how they, the fact that they lost that game is so bad. I mean, Oklahoma played so average, so average. They, so. Oh, you played average. I mean, we don't need to get into it again. I put a lot of that on Lincoln Riley. I don't put a lot. I don't really put that much on the players. I don't really know what you expect, especially the defense to do when they are gassed at that point. They've played out. They played exceptional football game. The few points that they actually gave up before Texas scored late to tie, you know, a lot of it was just because the offense put them in bad situations. Other than that, the defense was awesome. You know, they gave up a play or two, but you know, it's OU Texas. You're going to give up a play or two. Um, against your rival in a big game. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we can go – like, I, I've perused through your film review. I felt better about the performance on Saturday, and then there are parts where I'm feeling like, eh, I don't know, which kind of is, is a good segue. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not done with it yet. It gets worse. Yeah, like, which is a good segue into what you were saying earlier about uh, this team moving forward. And I, I've heard – I've heard rumors about your thoughts on Oklahoma TCU, let's just say. And look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, you know, everything, the, the ship has been righted. Everything's fine. Oh, he's just going to win the rest of their games now. Like, I don't, I don't think that whatsoever. I mean, going down to Fort Worth against TCU is going to be a tough challenge for this team. And, you know, TCU, you know, they beat Texas and Austin the week before OU Texas. And quite frankly, even though they only beat them by, what was it, 
three points and it took a Texas fumble at the goal line to, uh, to win, you know, and it was, a uh, it wasn't like TC really did anything like, um, Texas running back just reached over the goal line and TCU just popped the ball out. So, um, but having said that TCU looked, you know, overall, they looked a lot better at beating Texas than OU did because of how the fourth quarter went and how overtime went. Um, take that however, whichever way you want, but TCU is going to present problems, especially defensively. And with Max Duggan running around in the pocket, you know, we kind of, at least I did going into the Texas game, you know, I expected the defensive line to not create, not just create pressure, but get home because Ellinger's just slower than Brock Purdy and even Skylar Thompson. I don't really feel that way with Max Duggan. If they're able to get, if everybody's healthy, it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And, you know, I've, you know, we're sitting here on Tuesday, you got 10 games away from the game. Uh, I mean, obviously my thoughts can change. My thoughts changed last week. Um, I know I kind of predicted that Herman would Herman this thing on Saturday and it obviously happened, but um, no, I am, you talk about, you know, the rushing lanes, like the, the, besides a couple plays, the linebackers that were spying Ellinger didn't do a very good job. Um, the linemen, they're stunting and twisting all the time, which is opening up rushing lanes for the quarterback. And then you add in the missed throws and breeds by Ellinger. Like Max Duggan's good. Max Duggan will make those throws. So what, what has beaten Oklahoma in the past? It, it's under Grinch. Mobile quarterbacks, which has been Oklahoma's worst nightmare since 2010, whenever. 2000. Or, 2001, actually. You know, they went undefeated, so whatever. Um. So, with all that being said, TCU as well. Yeah, their offensive line's not very good, but they're going to go a bunch of empty. They're going to go a bunch of four wide, and that's been their that's been their identity this year. And then you mix that in with Spencer Rattler has an interception in a game. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make one bad decision, and it's going to, you know, in a game like that, it could cost Oklahoma when it comes down to who has the final possession, and it kind of has the last couple weeks, um, at least these three games. So, with said, my biggest concern is the fact that, like, Oklahoma's defense was – they were good. Don't get me wrong. Like, they were much better than, you know, they were against Iowa State. And But at the same time, too, like, if, you, if they make tackles against Iowa State, like, that defense played as good of a football game as a defense that Oklahoma's played in a while. Um, so, you know, expected on Saturday against Texas, the guys that were running open in the secondary were not. The guys that were open that Sam Ellinger missed were not. Um, and like that, and then you add in Spencer and, you know, his ability, his current ability to, to turn the football over. I mean, TCU's got the best secondary, may not just in the Big 12, but in the country. Like they've got dudes across the board. Um, Trevin Morig is a dude. Ardarius Washington, really, really good. Um, speaking of guys that were, that are under six foot. Um, Ardarius Washington's 5'8", and they've been able to turn him into a really good football player. So, um, again, yes, you may have heard some rumors. I, as it stands today, I think Oklahoma's going to lose that game. You heard me say this last week. Like, just because OU beats Texas doesn't mean they're going to go on the road and beat TCU down in Fort Worth. You know, you would think that game I would feel a lot better. But after rewatching Oklahoma, like, I don't feel confident at all. You know, from an analytical perspective, as everybody is aware that we do that, TCU is actually not Bedlam in North, but TCU on the road is actually Oklahoma's toughest remaining game right now. 
according to the analytics. So yep. um, all that combined uh, worries me a little bit. Again, like I said, the, there was there were guys that were open for Texas that Sam Ellinger missed. Um, you know, Oklahoma still can't run the football very well, um, in my opinion. And then you add in the fact that Spencer's going to turn the football over, and that's that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, that's what happened in 2014 down in Fort Worth against a kind of an average or a, an above average to good TCU team. And this TCU team, whenever they play well, I mean, they're they're a good football team. So you know, we're gonna. We'll find out, though. Um, but, yeah, I am very bearish on the idea that Oklahoma's going to go down to Fort Worth and win as it stands today. Well, you don't have to get, you don't have to deep dive too much into this question, Keegan, because we'll have time to get down into the matchups and all that on not this Thursday, but next Thursday when we do our matchups for TCU. But everything you said is true. And I know historically has really nothing to do with the next game because it's different factors, different players, different whatever. But every time going into TCU, my brain goes, man, Gary Patterson's great defensive head coach, great defensive coach, great head coach. He's always going to have a scheme to stop OU. It's always a tough game, and it is. But if there's one team that Lincoln Riley, just his offense just destroys with all those caveats, it's TCU for some reason. I mean, they scored 28 a year ago, a um, couple turnovers from Jalen Hurts, but it's, you know, this offense though, right? It It's not what it, Lincoln has destroyed Gary Patterson with. Now, there were a couple plays from Saturday's game, the first touchdown in the touchdown to name two, that Lincoln has run against Patterson and wrecked him with. But again, this offense isn't doing the things that have, given TCU fits in the past. They didn't do it a year ago. And on, quite frankly, Oklahoma got lucky. They won that game a year ago in Norman. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, with this team, like there is just a lot more concern. You know, you look at what we put out yesterday, that that offensive performance on Saturday was the worst offensive performance in the Lincoln Riley era at Oklahoma. Like, you know, defensively, it was really just average. Like, it wasn't exceptional or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. Like, it was just average. So, it's a, it's it's an interesting scenario, situation. I may be the only one out there that's kind of doom and gloom about it, but I, I can tell you, you know, I think Chisholm and Sam yesterday when I was on for my radio spot, they were a little shocked that I felt that way. But, man, I just – there's just things from – game on Saturday that are just like what are they doing now again I want to reiterate this though Oklahoma's on a bye week they're going to get some guys back um however I don't know if those guys are the biggest differences in the world until Jaden Hazelwood returns and that will be around Bedlam so it's uh yeah I mean I I have more concern um about this group about this team than I did in the Iowa after the Iowa State and Kansas State game and I definitely did not feel that way on Saturday, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you've looked at the the OU Texas game in this light, but especially offensively, I mean, that, that was two games. It was two games. You can look at the entire thing of regulation and you could probably say, well, OU's offense played well for two or three drives. And outside of that, it was pretty pedestrian. I mean, that's just off of memory. But then you can look at it in overtime and, and really see Spencer Rattler make plays when OU needed them. You can really see Austin Stogner step up. You can really see the offensive line step up. Just everybody stepped up. 
and it looked like a different offense. And yeah, some of that has to do with the fact that they're playing with a shorter field uh, over time is a little bit more of a, it's a different type of football than just the monotony of a 60 minute football game. I don't really know how else to describe it, but it just feels faster paced. That of course is going to help out an offense. Um, I, I don't know. Like I'm not going to sit here and like I said earlier, I don't think OU's going to win the rest of their games. I think that they're probably going to lose at least one and probably two more with the way that they keep playing unless drastic improvements are made. And a lot of it, unfortunately, goes to Spencer Rattler just because of what you said. He's going to give you a turnover, maybe a turnover and a half a game, whether it's a fumble, whether it's an interception. It's just, you know, this is the ride that you take when you're having, when you have a redshirt freshman quarterback in his fourth, fifth, sixth start of his career. I mean, it's just something that is going to happen. So with that being said, I will say that I feel a little bit better about this offense based on the overtime performance. And I was just wondering if like, if your view on the team has more to do with just the overall OU Texas game and not really anything to do with you, you don't put that much stock into how they finish that overtime game. I put stock in the fact that, you know, that game is going to pay dividends down the road, but in the current, you know, near future, I don't think it has, it, it holds that much weight. If that makes sense. Like, you know, yeah. you look 2021, you know, Oklahoma's down a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess their non-conference is terrible next year, but um, you know, you're, they're down a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Like, does that give me confidence that they're going to be able to write the ship and be able to come out with a win? Yeah. But I mean, credit to them again, like I've said this before, like credit to them for being able to pull that off for Spencer Rattler growing up for when the offensive line, whenever Oklahoma needed the most that they're able to, step up for the defense whenever they needed the most they were able to step up I don't know if you could have said that about Oklahoma heading into that game however like the fourth the first four quarters were just men I mean they were just average and it's a uh, major concern uh, for me of course we're freezing and by the way if can, and by the way if everybody can can't really back. tell if, if anybody can't really tell, we had to do this over Zoom. Keegan wasn't feeling too hot, so uh, apologies for the sound, but hopefully Thursday we're in person. But, Keegan, I can, I can see you and I can hear you. Well, I mean, look, this season, I guess it's considered a rebuilding season with all the young talent across the board, all the disadvantages this team has had to go through. And I think you could probably pencil this team in for, like I said, one loss or maybe two losses. I mean, this team's going to get blown out. Like, you can go back to 2014, there was a blowout. You can go back to 2009 in in that rebuilding year, and there was a that was a rebuilding year due to injury, but they got blown out once that year. You can go back to 2005, which was a true rebuilding year, and that team got blown out once. So this team is not always going to be in close ball games in the fourth quarter. This team is not always going to be in control. They're not going to have the same script every single game. There's going to be one random game where they get their ass kicked. Uh, there's going to be probably another loss where it's, it probably follows the sim- a similar script as usual. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not saying I completely agree or disagree with how you view this team, Keegan, but um, I, I don't know. Like, I say it's considered a rebuilding year because that's kind of what you say by default because the team lost two games already and they're probably going to lose a game or so moving forward. But at the same time, like they have all the pieces that you want to win a lot of games. Like 
I don't know. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they won the rest of their games. It wouldn't surprise me if they lost two more. Apologies. Uh, this is what happens when you do Zoom sometimes. Sometimes the connection sucks, but apologies to our very awesome and very sexy listeners. Um, yes. Anyway, we do have a little bit of a tiny announcement moving forward with the show. Uh, it's pretty tentative at this point, but hopefully this this will be out tonight. So Tuesday night, all day Wednesday, we'll pump it. Uh, but Thursday, we're going to still do a show, even though OU's on a bye week. We'll have some stuff to talk about. Keegan's going to be talking to Alex Grinch and all those guys in the coming days. So we'll have some OU stuff to talk about. But we are actually going to be doing our show on Thursday, not over Zoom, not in my apartment, but we'll be doing it at Vanessa House Brewery in Oklahoma City. Uh, love that place and love those guys. Uh, so if you're in the area and you want to just come scream into a microphone, tell me that I'm an idiot. Uh, tell Keegan that he's the best journalist uh, probably ever since Walter Cronkite or whatever. Uh, just come out to Vanessa house. Um, I'm, Keegan, what, what time works best for you? And like sometime in the afternoon, I mean, you know, you know, my schedule, I'm always free for the most part, as long as I don't feel like I did this morning. Well, you're an American, so you, you are free. So yeah, well, let's, let's say, you know, let's say five o'clock. Let's, let's do, let's shoot for five o'clock on Thursday. Five so, o'clock? People yeah. are going to be able to get off work and be there at five? Hell yeah. A happy hour six. Well, Vanessa House, I believe, has something at seven. At Like, I think they have Bingo Bongo, something like that, an event at seven. So, about 5.30. I can do that. Yeah, let's, let's do 5.30 Vanessa House Brewing Company. It's on 6th and Broadway, I believe. It's over by, uh, there's a hideaway pizza on the corner of Broadway. And then on, I believe it's 6th Street or it might be 8th Street. I can't remember. I think it's 6th Street. Um, you just turn down that street and boom, it's right there. But we'll be there, Keegan. And hopefully moving forward, we'll be there at least once a week, maybe for post-game shows, maybe for, uh, maybe for like a weekly show. We don't know. But we're going to try it out on Thursday and would be awesome to see and meet some of y'all. But wear a mask, please, unless you want to come and have some beers. Then, of course, you can drink with your mask off. But um, yes. And then also, Keegan's going to put up his film review in full and finish it off on the Patreon page, which is, of course, five bucks a month if you want the post game show and all the other stuff I do and Keegan's film review. Or you can just do $4 a month and miss out on Keegan's film review, which I don't know why you'd want to do that. But uh, please consider if you haven't, we already got a handful of new patrons over the weekend during OU Texas. So thank you all so very much. Uh, but Keegan, any final thoughts whatsoever as we prepare for this boring bye week where some teams are playing and some teams aren't because of COVID? Yay, COVID's back. Yeah, COVID is back. Um... <laughs> well, in many ways, sir, COVID never left. For sure. It never left. It never did. Um, Oklahoma State not playing because of it. Um, Because Baylor can't get control of its football program. Which, when have we ever heard that before, Keegan? (laughs) Florida having major issues down there. 19 positive tests on the football team. Um, Are you still on the Florida bandwagon? You know what? I I am shocked that the defense is that bad. Now, I I nailed Kyle Trask. I nailed that Florida's offense is going to be good. I yep. did not realize that their defense was going to be this bad. They did not lose that game. Like I, I went back and rewatched like most of it. And yeah, they did not lose that game because of Kyle Trask. I've got a lesser opinion of him than you do, but I'll say like, eh, 
I mean, that defense sucks. They had really little to do with the offense except for like one bad fumble at the very end, which lost them the game, unfortunately. So, yeah. I'm just looking over. I drift what I showed you. And if anybody that knows what I'm talking about, this is an all-time moment. And my, I will maybe never forget it. I thought he was about to just ream me. I figured, so I figured it was going to go one and two ways, Brady, because I, I could tell you that there are people that inside Oklahoma's walls that do know about my film review and all that. I figured if I asked him about the fourth quarter play calls, I'm waiting for Lincoln to ask me what he thinks I should, or what I think he should have done. Um, I've got an idea. <laughs> Maybe understand that the clock is your enemy at that point. Like I said, that was what I was going to ask, but I'm surprised no one asked Lincoln about Ronnie. And I was like, someone's got to ask him. I mean, no, I mean, you're, you're right. Unfortunately for OU, like there's going to be another instance this season where Lincoln Riley has some weird play calling for a drive or two in a situation where OU should be pulling away at that point. And so there's going to be more opportunities for you to ask that question because we've seen this year after year after year with Lincoln. If there's one flaw about his play calling or his head coaching, it's that. It's, it's just kind of an unfortunate thing that you get with him. It's not the end of the world. OU's won the vast majority of games where we can kind of pinpoint where well, he should have ran the ball here. And OU would have just won comfortably earlier on. They've won the vast majority of those games. They won on Saturday against Texas. But I'm going to remember that OU-Texas game, not as a game game for the ages, as some people called it. I'm going to remember it as a stupid circus that was unnecessarily shoved into overtime when it should have ended in regulation. But there's going to be more opportunities for you to ask that question. Absolutely. Um, There was a lot of questions that, you know, should have been asked today that weren't. I mean, whenever you have fans that cover the team as well as other people that shouldn't be on. Oh, whoa. Keegan. Uh, I know. Brady, it was awful today. But well, um, quick disclaimer I don't cover the team. I talk about them. I'm not, yes. I, don't, I don't think I'm a media guy when it comes yeah. to OU football. I'm, Brady, just a, I'm just a fool. Brady is Brady. Everybody loves Brady. My, uh, but, uh, but again, there was a lot of questions that should have been asked today uh, to be asked and they weren't. So we'll definitely see, you know, kind of how everything stands moving forward with Oklahoma. But, you know, as I mentioned, a second, I think Lincoln kind of hit, hit on this a little bit is that they did take baby steps. They didn't take this huge step forward. OU Texas, you know, was a classic, but it wasn't a good football game. And I wish no. that's, I wish that's what it will go. It will go down as, but it's more than likely to go down as Oklahoma escaped. They had a bunch of young guys step up, and that Texas is falling quickly. Like yeah, so I mean the 2018 OU Texas game that OU lost on the last second field goal that was a better game than what we saw this past Saturday. I mean OU fans will obviously disagree. I didn't like the result either, but that was a terribly played game too. There's no defense from OU in the first half, and there was no defense from Texas in the second half. So, you know, like, this is what this conference is. It's it's flag football. It's circus. Um, oh, actually, before we do get out of here, the Big 12 actually did give their uh, statement as to where those phantom, what, 36 seconds were added. Yeah, and how did and, not and, 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 uh, we We knew about this on Saturday or on Sunday when we did our post game show, we just didn't get to it, Keegan, because we did an hour and a half show. And like we said on the show, I'm sure there's something we've missed or two because this game was five hours long and we missed that. But it's weird. It's stupid. Like in, in real time, when I was watching the game, 
I thought it was kind of fishy, but I thought that there was just some amount of time that I just didn't account for in my head. I just didn't really think that much of it because at the time I was more concerned with, oh God, oh, he's going to choke this game away, aren't they? Um, I'll just say this. Yeah, like Texas scored with 14 seconds left and they were a lot, they were given 36 seconds. So like in your head, you can just do the math. Like, well, they wouldn't have scored then. I'm fairly certain with how Lincoln was calling offense and how the defense was performing on those final two drives that Texas still would have tied the game, even if they didn't have an extra 36 seconds. I'm sure something would have happened. Probably. They, uh, it, you know, it's a... It would have been harder. It would have been harder, but meh. They would have had... I mean, it changes the how you call the game, too, though. And I wish my dogs would stop barking because that's the of the iceberg for me tonight. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, it, the game is called differently. Texas is, calls the game differently, this and that. And, uh, you know, it's – I don't know how you've messed that up. It's just complete and utter human error. I, I mean, I don't know either because the, I think the mark – the the mark where they returned it to like after they reviewed the play was actually that time was like during a second down, the second down of that drive for Texas. So I'm like, did he, did the ref just kind of have a brain fart when he's announcing the clock and no one stopped to like, Hey, that's actually wrong. I mean, I, I don't know. It's kind of like when they, they call holding on an offensive lineman and they call the wrong number. It's like holding on 78, but it was on 75 or whatever. Like that happens. So that that's the only thing I that's the only way I can explain it is that he just said the wrong set of numbers. Keegan, you're muted. Oh, my dogs are freaking barking and I can't get anything to work today. <laughs> freaking exhausted. We're almost done. Unless uh, you have yeah. But uh but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, I don't know how you screw that up. I really don't. Well, you're in the Big 12, and that's how we'll end it. Keegan, thank you for uh, being able to Zoom today. We originally were going to probably podcast tomorrow because you weren't feeling too hot, uh, but you felt better, felt good enough to Zoom it. So, uh, not the best, but works better than nothing, I guess. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to Thursday, though. Hopefully, you get some sleep these next two nights. Probably not, but. Yeah, I will see you around 5.30 at Vanessa House. We'll have fun. We'll have everything set up. So, yeah, if, again, if you guys want to come out and say hi and, I don't know, if you want to do something, like, give them some business. Great beer, great atmosphere. I love it down there. So, uh, if, if not, then screw you. I'm just kidding. We love you all. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. Keegan, thank you so much. Uh, Brady, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but until next time, everybody, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Boomer Center.